In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Abraham Lincoln was a firm believer in the Constitution, but he loved the Declaration of Independence even more. Along with independence, it declared the value on which our new nation would plant its flag, freedom. Race, language, and geography do not define us. Love of freedom does. I'm quoting Alan Gelzo. Lincoln read the Declaration as a document that transcended even national boundaries. Immigrants who read the Constitution saw only the rules and regulations of a foreign country. But when they read the Declaration, they found principles and ideas that reached over the head of language or section or previous nationality and bound Americans together as Americans seeking life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When Martin Luther King, standing under the Lincoln Monument, thundered, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check, a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. Those were the values, life and freedom to pursue our happiness and purpose that he had in mind. Let freedom ring, he said. Paul of Tarsus was a firm believer in the law of Moses, but he looked beyond its rules and regulations to a more transcendent value, faith. Just as for Lincoln, the Constitution represented one good way, but not the only way to embody freedom. For Paul, the statutes and codes of Deuteronomy and Leviticus were one good way, but not the only way, to practice faith. To make his point, Paul reminds us of God's covenant with Abraham. God promised, I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. Abraham lived centuries before Moses, so he knew nothing of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He was old and childless, but he believed the Lord that from him would spring a multitude of nations. And that, said Paul, was righteousness enough for God. As Abraham Lincoln read the Declaration, it unites us as a land of immigrants from a multitude of nations. Again, I'm quoting Alan Gelzo. Half our people have come from Europe, German, Irish, French, Germany, Irish, come from Europe, Germany, Ireland, France, and Scandinavia, Lincoln observed in 1858. People who had no personal or ancestral stake in the writings of the Constitution or the rights of states. But when they look back to that old Declaration of Independence, Lincoln believed, they find principles that rise above one's place of birth, whether another country or another state of the Union. They find that those old men say, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And then they feel that that moral sentiment taught in that day evidences their relation to those men 
and they have a right to claim it as though they were flesh of the flesh of the men who wrote that declaration. Likewise for Paul, when Gentile Christians come to faith, it is as though we now are flesh of the flesh of Abraham. Paul calls Abraham the father of us all. Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. To our faith, Paul says, the same reckoning is given. Now I'm quoting Paul. Righteousness will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are freed by faith from the burden of our sins. Paul battled the misinterpretation of his teaching that still confuses many Christians. If Christ died for our sins, the theory goes, then our behavior is irrelevant, isn't it? One look at Abraham dispels the thought that faith is a a road that leads away from virtue. Aquinas considered faith a virtue in its own right, indispensable from the other virtues, he called them the theological virtues of faith, of hope, and love. Those three theological virtues inspire and elevate the four cardinal virtues, which are prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude or courage. It's a whole package. Abraham was no angel, but faith for him at times required a double dose of courage. In Abraham, we see that keeping faith is hard work. Lincoln was my reading topic last year. I've chosen my topic for this year, Martin Luther King. I'm reading King for the same reason I wanted to read Lincoln, as a reminder of the greatness in our country. They are my antidote to cynicism. There is a view at large that virtue and value are little more than false fronts, that even the Declaration of Independence was no more than a high-sounding tool for for privileged men to capture power. After a year of reading Lincoln, that claim seems ridiculous to me. King became famous during the Montgomery bus boycott of 1956. That year, his house was strafed and bombed. Late one night, he answered the phone. It was around midnight, he said, and you can have some strange experiences at midnight. The caller started with the usual racial smear, then threatened, if you aren't out of town in three days, we're going to blow your brains out and blow up your house. He sat alone in his kitchen thinking about his sleeping wife and baby daughter who could be taken from him by a killer. And he thought of his father who had been his strong protector growing up. Now I'm quoting King. And I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. Something said to me, you can't call on daddy now. He's up in Atlanta, 175 miles away. You've got to call on that something and that person that your daddy used to tell you about. That power that can make a way out of no way. 
And I discovered then that religion had had to become real to me. And I had to know God for myself. And I bowed down over my cup of coffee. I never will forget it. I prayed a prayer, and I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause that we represent is right. But, Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. Then it happened, and it seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even unto the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. And fear subsided as his faith increased. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was not that death were not a possibility. It was that the possibility of death now seemed incidental to his purpose. Those who want to save their life will lose it, and vice versa. King's oldest recorded sermon dates to 1954 at Second Baptist Church, Detroit. He titled it, Rediscovering Lost Values. America is struggling, he said, because we've been forgetful. When Jesus was 12, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem. When the feast was over, their caravan headed, headed back towards Nazareth. After a day's journey, they counted heads and realized they had forgotten something mighty precious, Jesus. Mary and Joseph hurried back to Jerusalem to find him. Likewise, King said, if we want to go forward today, we've got to go back today and discover some mighty precious values that we've left behind. What values had we forgotten? He named two. The first is faith that right and wrong are more than a matter of opinion. Christ's command to love isn't like taste in clothes, it's like the law of gravity. Like the laws of physics, the law of love is fundamental to reality. All reality hinges on moral foundations, he said, and we've forgotten to believe that. We also had forgotten faith, he said, that all reality has spiritual control. Pure and simple, he meant faith in God. Speaking to churchgoers, King said, we can affirm this with our lips as we do in church, but then deny it with our life. Practical atheism, he called that, and he warned that it was spreading. This wasn't deliberate. It was more or less unconscious. He said, we didn't grow up and say, now goodbye, God, we're going to leave you now. America had not consciously rejected faith. It had forgotten to live it, and so it left it behind. The law of Moses was God's gift to guard those mighty precious values. It was an antidote to practical atheism and a constant reminder that moral truth is real. That law was and is of great benefit to Jews, no doubt. Like the Constitution, it was a blessing to its nation. 
King spoke of progress. A modern world has made so much in some ways, he said, especially in scientific know-how. From New York to Philadelphia had been a three-day trip for Thomas Jefferson. Now we can eat breakfast in London and have lunch in New York City. Our scientific progress is amazing, he said, but morally and spiritually, we're stalled. Israel had stalled, too, even with the law. Jesus, knowing this, projected a rough row ahead for him and his, for his disciples. If any want to become my followers, he said, then let them take up their cross and follow me. King said, the cross we bear precedes the crown we wear. Faith isn't ever easy, not faith in God nor in our country, but it is mighty precious, that is, powerful and valuable. Its truth is spiritual and moral. It elevates our national experiment in freedom. Take the faith of King and Lincoln out of the history of that experiment, and the difference would be catastrophic. In a forgetful country, our being here this morning is important. We are exercising faith, rediscovering values that are spiritual and moral. They elevate our liberty and life. That's the righteousness of faith and freedom. Thank mm -hmm. you.